to another edition of Unscripted Wrestling Show. I'm your host, Eric, tonight. <laughs> and my two co-hosts are uh, I'm Doug and uh, Daniel. And if we'll be here at any moment, I hope. How are you guys? It's a pleasure to be here. It's fantastic. I, I just got to uh, point out, though, that this whole house just shook with three people in here just dancing to the American Dream theme song. <laughs> It's a great fucking song. Catchy tune. It is a catchy tune. Super catchy. Thank God we right, so it. So what are we doing here tonight, Eric? Tonight we'll be doing uh, the pro wrestling, pro wrestling uh, retro, um, 1997. Taking a look back at the best moments and matches um, from 97, the storylines that I put together. And these guys gave my suggestions on this week, so I put top 10 together, and it's going to be interesting to talk about 1997, one of the best uh, years in, one of the best years in uh, the 90s, uh, the start of the uh, Attitude Era, kind of. It, it was, it was towards it, at the end of the, what was the other era, the Golden Era? No. It was the end of the New Generation oh. Era, Eric. And then the start of the attitude era. Right. So, and there were some interesting storylines. Not every, not everything made the top ten, unfortunately, but there were some interesting storylines. WCW, WWF mainly, and then got UCW. Um, I mean, personally, this is one of my favorite years because this is also the year that another sibling of mine was born, and I wasn't just stuck with the one. Who that could be? Uh-huh. <laughs> the year of legend. Yes, yeah. Mr. Daniel. The king of the final jammies. Yes. That is what I came into the world. Uh, but, yeah, like, 97, um, it, it's weird with 97 because you had, like, the two big promotions, which was WCW, WWF. Mm-hmm. ECW, which was kind of like, you know, the the little brother almost. You had other promotions that were kind of still around, like USWA in Memphis, but they were they were closing down, and Jerry Lawler and Jerry Jarrett were just like, screw it. They're all going to go to the WWF anyway. Yeah. Because w- they were pretty much a, a developmental for WWF, because that's where uh, Lawler was working at the time. Or, Lawler was working there at the time, so... They kind of closed that down, even though they were still, like, their TVs at the beginning of 97 were, like, they were in Memphis alone, obviously, because it was Memphis Wrestling. Their TVs were getting, like, a 50 rating with 100 shares. Okay. Uh, 
So you figure about you know fifty million households or whatever it was were watching it. Uh, were watching that. Raw? No, uh, Memphis, USWA. What year? Well, in '97 because but '97 was their last year. So fifty million people were watching Memphis in '97. They were getting like a. They were getting like a. Somebody said they were getting like a fifty rating or something like that. And but Raw wasn't even doing that, was it? Yeah. Well, this was, of course, you had to add all the local syndicated markets. Yeah, but because they, they were they were in syndic- they were in syndication. Yeah, but local people. How does that add up to fifty million? Well, because they were also being syndicated in other markets. Like we were getting it in. Uh, we were getting it in Newfane. At like Sundays at like four o'clock. On on a local station, it was being pirated. Uh, Sundays at four and Tuesdays at uh, Tuesdays at eleven. I or no Tuesdays at ten. That's crazy. Because there was a local station that aired wrestling on the weekends on Friday and Saturday, and then they had a two-hour block for wrestling on Tuesday nights. So I always fake sick on Wednesdays, so I could stay up late Tuesday nights and. And uh, watch wrestling. Or I would always fake sick. Like, I'd be like, oh, I don't think I could go to school tomorrow. And then I'd be like, oh, you could stay up late if you want, and, since you're not going to go to school, so <laughs> just so I could watch wrestling. Dutchie found a loophole. Yeah. It didn't work for too long, though. No, parents are a little smarter than you give them credit for. The one was. All right, Eric. Do we get started? Let's get started, baby. Number 10, ECW's first review, very legal, April 13th, in the ECW Arena in South Philadelphia. I watched some of this tape review this morning. It was fairly decent. One thing is that um, they almost didn't have this tape review because people... Um, I think executives didn't like all the violence and stuff. But Paul Hammond, they, they all agreed to. They made some agreement with. Right. To tone, tone down the uh, violence and um, stuff. Yeah, I don't think it was as violent as, as, as the ECW pay per view would be. Well, and also, too, they actually aired at a later time slot. So pay-per-views yeah. back then were airing at, you know, about 7 o'clock Eastern time uh, on a Sunday night. EC, I don't think ECW came on, or the ECW pay-per-view came on to like, 9. So they could run 9 to midnight because yeah. they knew a lot of the uh, kids would be going to bed. Yeah. So it was kind of like a uh, – it was basically just like air your pay-per-view later so the youngsters can't watch it. Yeah, tone down the, you know, the violence and all that. But also, Heyman was the kind of guy to where he would say he would do something but then do the complete opposite. First match on the card was Dudley Boys versus um, – Eliminators with that and then, uh, what's his name? Cronus. Cronus. Who's actually pretty good at I watched that match. 
Saturn was young Saturn was pretty good. Yes. Um, it sucks that he didn't have a career that he should have had. And Cronus, same thing. Unfortunately, he passed away in '07. It sounds about right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, those those two were a good tag team, and they they actually destroyed the Douglas surprisingly, and they were over with that crowd in Philadelphia. So great one. They were chanting some stuff that I can't say on the air, but yeah. But it, it's it's Philadelphia, so what else do you expect? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You watch Yeah, I mean, I I've seen it uh, a few times, and to me, the the big moment of the whole thing is obviously Terry Funk's, you know, big title win at the end. Yeah, it, it, the big title win at the end. Uh, the double turn with Sabu and uh, and Taz. Yeah, and Rob Van Dam's coming out moment a little bit. Yeah, because he demanded a yeah. match. But uh, to me. Without even seeing this pay-per-view, I kind of felt the moments of this pay-per-view as a kid when I watched that Beyond the Mat documentary. Right. Because one of the, like, good moments of that, even though it showed a lot of, like, you know, Jake the Snake at his worst and, like, it, it showed a lot of bad shit. But it also showed some fun stuff, one of which was this ECW pay-per-view happening and following Paul Heyman and, and following, you know, uh, Terry Funk throughout and, and before and him talking to his buddy and shit. And uh, he's uh Terry Funk's an interesting guy. And I think he was a good guy to win the title here and a good old head and like a hardcore legend for people to really strap onto. And uh, just the magic in the I arena, think- Paul Heyman saying like, I couldn't do this without them. Like, this isn't for me. This is for them. Like it was just the smile on his face, even though he's a man that's usually not smiling. Uh, it's just, it's nice to see like this dream kind of, especially because it's so close. You know, we've been to the building before, so it's just it's very nice. Yeah, and not ECW crowd. It's funny, like with that, and remember, like this pay per view ended 15 seconds before the Transformers blew, because you were scheduled. You're scheduled to go three hours mm-hmm. on a pay per view. And so when you hit that three-hour mark, it doesn't matter what's going on, if you're still in the middle of something, if you only called the pay-per-view company and said, hey, we need three hours, and three hours is all they're going to give you. You can't call in the middle of it and say, hey, can we go 20 extra minutes? Because they schedule their pay-per-view format like days ahead of time. So now, and again, this is actually back in the day where actually movies, and I'm not just talking like triple X movies, but like actual like feature films were also on pay-per-view. So you probably had like ECW coming on and then afterwards the midnight show was probably, uh, I can't think of a movie from 97. Oh, uh, fucking Space Jam or whatever the fuck, right? Yeah. Or uh, Liar, Liar, which was a Jim Carrey movie that was actually released in 97. Uh, You know, stuff like that. But, like, if you say you're going to be done at midnight, midnight is the time that they cut you. Yeah. They barely made it. 
Good for them. Because, you know, Heyman thought he could get – Heyman thought he could get away with a lot more than what he actually could because – But if you still look at the shit he got away with, it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Yep. How much unlicensed is, music they used for all the, the intros and shit. And, yeah, and how and how much he was able to get away with scamming everybody. Yeah. Which, by the way, like he's, uh, I mean, he was really taking the task. Not well, not him personally, because I don't think anybody in WWE is actually allowed to watch the show. But the season premiere which, uh, was a few weeks ago of Dark Side of the Ring. The first episode was on Chris Candido and Tammy Fitch. And they made Heyman look like a scumbag. Really? Yeah. Uh, but it was just like, because, you know, in those particular shows, and Bruce Pritchard basically even said that nobody from WWE watches that stuff anymore. They're not really supposed to. And also, the way people come off doing the interviews, it kind of puts them in a negative light. Like, Jim Ross refused to do <laughs> interviews for uh, season uh, for season four, even though some of those interviews had to do with Mid South. Yeah. Well, I think it's also because, like, nowadays we're in the era of the podcast. Yeah. And a lot of these guys have podcasts and stuff. So JR can go on his own show with Conrad, say whatever he feels like, and edit it however he wants. Right. So going on a show where. Other people can take him out of context and put him in other things and, and and fucking shine a light. Because with edited TV, it's like you can edit this program right now to make you say something that you're not trying to say. It's easy to do. Right. And the media is known for fucking yep. doing it. So a lot of these guys are probably just sick of going on and then, you know, looking like a dick or saying the wrong thing and then saying to cut that and they don't cut it and shit like that. And everybody's got a podcast now, so why deal with it? Right. No, I 100% agree with you. Another match I feel like we have to talk about on uh, on this Barely Legal was the triple threat that uh, – or the three-way dance that Terry Funk had to win to get the title shot. That was good, yeah. And it was good because that was actually considered for a while. That was considered Stevie Richards coming out party. That was probably matching the night. What's that, Eric? That was probably matching the night. Yeah. Either that or... And then the St. Douglas fight. St. Douglas match. I got the most in it. Most um, time. And yeah, guess, and it but... stuck. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like it's that man's fucking blue. Yeah, yeah. Actually, only been like ten minutes. He knows blows. He's had his moments, but <laughs> not in this show. Yeah, he does. Ready, ready for number nine, guys? Yes, sir. Yep. Number nine, Kurt Henning turns on the Four Horsemen at WCW War Games on September 14, 1997, by slamming the door on McFlair's head hmm. in the steel cage, steel cage door on McFlair's head, and during the NWO. If if you watch this back now, like you had to have seen this coming, like if you're watching it like chronologically. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, 
and, and again, I was only 11 years old when it happened. Yeah. You weren't out yet. But uh, watching it back in the day, like when they did the moment where Arn Anderson handed uh, Kurt Henning the spot. Yeah. Right? By the way, I remember watching that live because I was at Nana and Baba's house. Almost missed the segment because I had to climb in a neighbor's window to unlock her door for her. Uh, But luckily, I hurried up and got, uh, you know, got the door unlocked for her. You know, I didn't want to miss any nitro. And I remember kind of protesting. I was just like, uh, they're just like, we need you to climb in, you know, Miss Marion's window. Or in, in their house. I said, wrestling's there. Like, no. It's the park manager. Well, the park manager said to come get you. I don't care. <laughs> wrestling's on. I ended up having to do it anyway. <laughs> yeah, because uh, yeah, even he was just like, look, I want to watch this too. And the sooner you get in, the, get in her house, the sooner you can come back home and we can finish watching this. So shut up, get on Mr. Wasik's lap and get in the house. Yeah, I think this, and this one really resonates with me too, because you had like the DVD or whatever. Yeah. And uh, I remember watching this as a kid and being kind of very heartbroken by the whole thing, because I always liked Ric Flair. I know nobody else in the house does. I I think this was on, because I had an NWO tape. Yes. Remember when they did the Superstar series, mm-hmm. like those series of tapes? Yeah, that's exactly what it was. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And, and and it shows and it highlights the My Spot thing, and you know, and that's very emotional. And but it also highlights and it shows you the match and just watching those guys get brutalized and like you really feel for Benoit and uh Mongo and those guys in that situation. It's like they got completely fucked over. And as a kid, you know, you don't know. I don't I didn't see it coming because I'm a kid, you know? Right. You're when you were a kid you didn't see it coming. You don't know. You just bought into the storyline. That's kind of the magic of it. So when you see Mr. Perfect fucking turn on everybody and now he's in the NWO and Flair's getting his head bashed through the door and they got all the guys cuffed and stuff and they bashed that door on Flair's fucking head like multiple yeah. times. And he's bleeding, oh, yeah. and everyone's just, the horseman just got destroyed by the NWO. But it was a good storyline, and it was a good moment. Now, it's not a heartfelt moment. It's a fucked up moment. And it's one of those that, yes, the horsemen are, or yes, the NWO is cool, and they're always known as the cool bad guys. But I think you can look to this and then show people and be like, no, they're heels. Yeah. Like, they're, they're fucking scumbags. Just because people like were wearing the shirts and shit, they're bad people. Uh, people were just into that. So, I I do love the moment, and I would always go back and watch this because I think it's a it's a good story playing out. It sucks because the bad guy wins and all your favorite people are getting fucking destroyed. But I like the type of art where the good guy doesn't always win. I, I and I think a lot of people bitched about it over the years because it was it was who was on the NWO team in the match. Like they can understand Nash, but they couldn't understand Six Bagwell, and they definitely could not understand Conan. Oh, well, there's a couple of different. Yeah, that didn't make any sense. Conan. One, they couldn't understand why he was getting pushed, and two, they couldn't actually understand him when he talked anyway. Well, 
And, but now all those guys are considered actual NWO members, I'd say. Yeah, definitely. Like, and Bagwell... Like, if there's an NWO Hall of Fame, I think all those guys would probably... Well, like, if we did, like, an NWO tier list, all those guys would basically be at the top. Not, not elite, because that's for the three. No, not at elite, but they would be in, they would be in very good. Yes. So, I think it's a fine... But I, I, I see what you're saying. But at, just, at the time, yeah. it's just like, okay, you're given... Like, you're given, uh, like, they could probably, like I said, they understood Nash, and they could probably understand Waltman because Waltman was attached to Nash and Hall's ass. Yeah. But they're like, Bagwell and Conan? Like, really? Like, yeah. why? Yeah. Uh, but it's just a brutal display. And it is a fun watch. <coughs> it's cool to see the bad guys. It was. Yeah. Especially, like, someone who wants to play out. He was, he was only out, out a couple weeks, weeks, right? Yeah, he had to. Have, I think it was he had some had to have some kind of plastic surgery. It also cements uh, okay. Mr. Perfect is one of the better heels. Yeah, because he's okay. he's showed some fucking mean streaks over the years, but this is one of the big ones. Oh yeah, like but yeah, no. And Flair had to have, better I, I know I know Flair wasn't getting a nose job because he still looked like an aardvark, but. Uh, I think it was some kind of plastic surgery he had to be written off, and then, the, you know, when when he was off for those couple of weeks, that's when Bischoff just like disbanded the Horsemen because they had bigger plans for, uh, or I don't even think it was bigger plans for Mongo and Benoit. It was just we have the NWO now. Fuck yeah. the Horsemen. That, that's, that's pretty what much it was. what Bischoff was. That's what it was. That, yeah, that's what Bischoff was doing. Because Mongo, like... Fuck the past. Fuck the Horsemen. That doesn't make any more money anymore. We're the NWO now, baby. That was Eric's mindset. And he'll tell you that. He said it a lot yeah. on air. Yeah. He'll t- I mean, that that was his mindset. Yeah. The Horseman wasn't anything. And then he gave Rick, when he realized that, like, Rick still drew, he would give Rick big moments. But the Horseman... And to be fair, yeah, he wasn't that wrong. To be honest, they they weren't they were a fun group, but they were a mid card group, and right. the Horsemen aren't a mid card group. Right, and and the thing is, like when they brought it back, and they brought back, you know, it was Mongo and Benoit, and instead of Iron, it was Dean Malenko. Like I liked all those guys, yeah, but it's just like you know, it's a mid card Horseman, yeah. Like you have. It's not everybody's a champion and Ric Flair's the main event and you're seeing the horsemen like three, four times throughout the night. Right. It's not that anymore. Now it's, oh, you get to see Mongo fight with Deborah and Jeff Jarrett. Right. Which, I mean, that whole thing, I mean, poor Mongo. I agree. What's number eight, Eric? Undertaker versus uh, Bret Hart for the WS championship at SummerSlam. If Bret loses, you can no longer fight in the United States ever again. And obviously, if Undertaker wins, he wins another one. Which he did fight. This match was, from what I remember, it was a pretty good... It was a pretty good match. Yeah, well, let's address the elephant in the room here. Because this isn't just 96 where uh, WCW is just better, and it's beating WWE's ass. Right. This is 97, so this is a weird year. You mentioned ECW. We already talked about them a little bit. I don't know if they show up again. I forgot. But 
You got ECW that's this fucking like Nirvana type, like it's the grunge of wrestling. It's right. this fucking alternative, like people want to see blood now. They don't want the cartoony bullshit. They want to see people being vicious. Now, so you've got ECW, and they're fucking killing it, and they're kind of at the best that they've been this year. And you also have WWE starting to see that and ripping it off and making the Attitude Era, which I know it's not a direct ripoff, but come on, let's be honest, a little bit. They took a lot of ideas. Oh, no, I'm... I'm agreeing with you. uh, There's only so many ways you go edgy. ECW was already edgy. So once you say we're going edgy, you're being like ECW. It's just what it is. Right. Because they were already the edgy group in town. But so WWE's transitioning that, and they're also transitioning into their best period ever in some people's eyes. I am a much more fan of WWF in 1998 uh, and 99 and, and in the future than this particular year. But they do have really good matches and moments. And there's some stuff that starts brewing. It's the fucking origins of DX. It's fucking Stone Cold coming into his own and finally winning the title. It's There's so many things in this year. So you have right now, the rule had always been WCW's undercard was great main event match. That's what they w- said. WWF, it was undercard match, main event was always great. If you go back and watch this particular SummerSlam, there was some stuff like the opening cage match with Mankind and Helmsley was decent. Yeah, he threw up the cage. That was cool. He did a snooker, didn't he? Yeah. Well, it was more of an elbow. But, I mean, he... It was on top of the cage. Yeah, but he pretended like he was snooker. Yes. Okay? So... Like, that was decent. And then you had, like, a couple other matches. You had the loser wears the dress thing with Pillman and Goldust. Yeah. Okay. You had a uh, a European title match where Bulldog lost. Not only would he lose the title, but he had to eat a can of alcohol. Yeah. Uh, he had the, was this the kiss my ass match or no? No, that was Austin and uh, Owen. Yeah. Is that on this card or yes. no? Okay. Yeah. Where, you know, where Austin got hurt. <laughs> But, like, you know, the, the Bulldog, Davey Boy thing. Like, they were at – because they were – all the Hart Foundation members were trying to outdo each other. Yeah. And it they were was, all making bets. And, yeah. and it was stupid. Like, Bulldog's going to eat a can of Alpo. I mean, it's probably just about as good as Diana's cooking. But uh, – But Owen was the only one that wasn't going to pay up, you know? Yeah. Owen was like, yeah, he can kiss my ass, but I ain't doing shit if I lose. <laughs> he just gets the belt. Bulldog had to eat Alpo. <laughs> but, yeah, no, so, like, but this particular pay-per-view, and then, like, you still had the, the storyline with, uh, you know, Shawn Michaels as a referee, yeah. right? So you had to think that Shawn Michaels was going to try to cost Bret Hart the title in any way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this particular match is a fun match of styles. It's a fun Technical versus big man go. Yeah. It's a it's fun to see two people that are kind of different and have vastly different styles, but Brett can work with anybody and Undertaker's very adaptable. And these are and they're both ninety seven Bret Hart is one of the most underrated Bret Hart's of all fucking time. And Undertaker yeah. was really coming in. So uh, these two just they put on a great match. Yeah. And she had the drama with Sean, which at this point, like, going back and watching anything with Sean and Brett just makes me cringe. Right. Because they both, like, it was, 
you knew that there was a problem. Yeah, it was a lesser version of the Hogan Macho shit. Yeah. I, I, but it was more both ways. Like, each guy wanted to fuck each other. Even though in Brett, Brett Brett's a Bible yeah. camp fucking... He's never well, done I mean, anything that's wrong what, ever. That's what he said. Yeah, he's never done anything wrong ever. He, the man's never sinned. But and Shawn Michaels just... That's why I compare him to CM Punk. Yeah. I mean, that's but, why I compare Punk to my heart. Exactly. And Kenneth, welcome to the program. No, you're good. Uh, we're talking about Undertaker and Shawn Michaels, SummerSlam 97. This is the one that or, you picked. Or Undertaker and Bret Hart. Yeah, my bad. I'll let you take All the right. tour off, man. Okay. Alright, so the reason why I picked this one is because I figured this this match itself set up a lot. It was like the key vocal point was setting up the the other um the main storylines that we got for the rest of the um the year, especially with Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker and Bret Hart. This match was like the center point of yeah the Michaels hatred for Bret Hart being forced to referee the match. Um, because if you don't get this, uh, to me, I say if we, this match never happened, we would never have gotten Hell in a Cell. We probably would have never gotten a screw job. I don't think Brett probably goes to WCW. This is like the key thing right here. It set up a lot of other storylines that go along a way. That's why yeah. to me, I think this match is important else. Right, and the the thing about it too is that like you still also had the, uh, oh my God, is Kane gonna show up? You know, because Paul Bear waddled his fat ass out there during the match. Yeah. So you didn't know if uh. There was a lot of options on the table. Yeah, could have happened, and that's what makes the match fun. Yeah, and, and what's funny about this is that, like, the night after when Shawn Michaels comes out and they ask him, they're like, "Did you hit the Undertaker on purpose?" And Shawn Michaels gets all you know hurt in the rectal area, uh, and he says, "Like, I did my best, and you guys are gonna blame me." And it's just like, "Yeah, Shawn, you hit the guy in the head with a chair." <laughs> yes. You are the reason why Bret Hart is the WWF champion. We know you don't like to take responsibility, but guess what? You swung the chair, you fuck. So be a big boy. And, and be a big boy. Well, he was basically, of course, no other book. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just like, it was a perfect story because I think turning Sean Heel at that time, because I'm pretty sure everybody hated his guts anyway. At least behind the scenes. Yeah. yeah. I think fans always kind of thought he was cool. And chicks wanted this. You know. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, because chicks probably were, you know, buying, you know, because you had to figure that Sonny was selling their sex tapes on the side of the road somewhere. Yeah. Was the Playboy out yet? Uh, the Playgirl? I think that came out in 96, actually. So, yeah, it was... You already got the picture of him with the title in front of his junk. Yeah. 
Imagine having to wash that thing. <laughs> the title. I mean, well, that's probably you, can how ask, you can ask Triple H about washing his junk. There you go. I had to get one. Yeah, this was a really good match, though. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. Went almost like a Yes. Ready for number seven, thing? Sure. Anybody ain't one to add it on Anyway, yeah. Bret Hart's WCW debut, December 15, 1997, WCW Nitro. I thought this was a little, what's the word, underwhelming. It was like, came out of nowhere. It, was, it should have been bigger than it was. Okay. Who picked this? I, I, I didn't. So I, I got to say this. I'm I going to assume, Eric, that you picked it. Yes. Okay. So try to follow me here. If you pick it and you just said, okay, it was underwhelming, it wasn't that good, why is it on the list? Because it's a moment that he dumps this. I mean, we all, I mean, he dumped from one company, the bigger company to the uh, rival. So that's mainly why I put it on that. that I mean, it's understandable, but like if we're going to sit here and, you know, count down the top 10 best moments and matches and we're all on a moment that we all think kind of is underwhelming, that defeats the purpose of the list almost. If it helps define another era, then it should stay on the list. I mean, well, if you say define an era, Bret Hart wanted to kill himself being in WCW. And he gets introduced by that he's going to referee a match between a commentator and the president of the company. But hold on, and this can give us some time to talk about it, because you like this moment more than anybody else on here, so why don't you talk about it? Well, and here's because you like the promo. I like the pro- I did like the promo. I remember watching it with you. Right. And I like the promo, so, like, but I do think, again, because, uh, yes, it should not be on the top ten list. I agree with you, but it's here, so let's talk about it. Yeah. So the promo was a, it was a pretty fun promo. It was a pretty fun promo when Bret Hart's just like, you're on your own, Jack. Uh, which Bret Hart is still, uh, you know, was never good on the mic. But like him kind of cutting a promo and then J.J. Dillon doing, doing the thing where he's just like, I, I picked a guy. You know, to referee this match, and then Bischoff's giddy, and then when Eric, when Bret Hart says, "Okay, you're on your own," you know, Bischoff stopped jumping around, happy, and he's just like, "Are you sure? I'm paying you seven point five million a year, or whatever he said." So, are you sure I'm on my own? Yeah. And it's just like, uh, and. It, so, yeah, you know, to me it was a fun promo and all that, but, again, when we talked about it on the show, nobody else was really a fan of it. No. So, I mean, that, that's just that's just my point. I get why it would po- be on... Made. Huh? Your point's made and taken. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, no, that that's just basically why... I, I just don't want to berate 
because Eric's done a pretty good job with the list. Well, no, I, I'm not saying he hasn't done a good job with the list. I'm just saying is that like because you know we would all argue if it was you know if we put something on there that you know we didn't agree with. No, I know exactly. And I appreciate your uh, honesty, uh, Doug. No problem. All right. What's the next one? Uh, number six. Austin wins the Rumble after it appeared that he was eliminated by uh, Bret Hart. So he got back in the ring and eliminated Bret and I forgot who else he eliminated. But uh, he, he eliminated Vader. Uh, Undertaker, Brett eliminated Diesel, and then Austin eliminated Brett. Yeah. The referee didn't see him hit the floor if he did. I didn't see him. I'm not sure. It didn't show the replay, but um, yeah, he eliminated Brett and he won his first rumble, first of three. And um, and he went on to face Brett at WrestleMania 13, which we'll get to later. Yeah. And the funny thing about this is that, like, when he did it, and then everybody's just like, wait a minute, you know, Austin shouldn't have won. And you have Jerry Lawler defending it because, one, he, you know, storyline, he hated Bret Hart. And also, too, he's supposed to stick up for the uh, stick up for the heel, so he's just like uh, – just like, oh no, you know, if the referee didn't see it, it didn't happen. It's like King, it's right in front, and they're like King, it's right in front of you. So then they're talking about how Brett got robbed, and he's just like, shut up, Austin won the Rumble. And I'm just waiting for like Terry Waller's commentary to me. It was just like, okay, we get it. You don't like Bret Hart. Uh, you're mad because he shoved his, he shoved your own foot that you hadn't washed in six months down your throat two years prior. Uh, and you ended up getting athlete's mouth. But, you know, look, like, it's just one of those things where it's just like, yeah, the, the guy cheated. Now, Austin got to come up in the next night on Raw when, uh, you know, Gorilla Monsoon came out and announced the final four match. Yep. Uh, and then, like, and what, what was funny to me about that promo was when after he made the announcement – Vince McMahon stuck his hand out for Gorilla to shake it, and Gorilla started walking the other way because he didn't know that. And Vince stopped him and said, no, you got to shake my hand, pal. Like, actually said that to him off camera. He's like, Gorilla, you have to shake my hand. And then, you know, so Gorilla Monsoon actually tried to snub Vince McMahon, and then, you know, seven months later, Gorilla's off TV permanently. Uh, but it's Damn. just like... But to me, that was a funny part of the promo to where it's just like, you you kind of knew at that time, like, who was in charge. Like, Gorilla was the on-screen president, yeah. but you knew McMahon was writing the checks. Yep. Uh, and it's just like, Gorilla's just like, Gorilla, you know, who was loyal to Vince Stinger is just like, I still hate this fucking kid. Uh and, um, but, yeah, no, Austin winning the Rumble, it, it set up the final four. It did. Yeah. And it was a fun moment. Yeah, it like, it sets up fucking Stone Cold as this asshole, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, and Bret Hart gets to bitch a little more, so he can be a heel in the states. Right, and, and that's the thing, and because people, I think, were actually happy with the fact that Austin won the Rumble. Yeah, they were starting to like him a lot. Yeah, and and by the way, this whole thing was actually well, it's being blamed on the fact that the week prior, some moron named Vic Venom, which was Vince Russo's magazine name, was on Livewire. With Vince McMahon and said, Vince, we already know that you that you booked Bret Hart to win the Rumble. And oh, wow. so the rumor has it is that that's why uh, you know they kind of had to change gears and you know book it this way instead. So they because they still wanted to do Sean and Bret at WrestleMania. Sean didn't want that. That's why he lost his smile. But instead of just plain book, you know, Bret Hart winning the Rumble, they had to do something else instead and then finally get to that because Vince Russo, because Vince Russo did not like Bret Hart, Vince Russo decided, all right, I'm going to fuck up the plan. Exactly. Yes, because I won't say it's coming out party, but it was it led to a big year for I agree. Yeah. What do you think, Claire? What were your... Well, well, like I said, this, uh, this set up the Final Four, which... Um, then, since... I think this is probably a World Rumble. I think also someone actually won, but did not headline the one, but did not headline WrestleMania itself for a title match. The yeah. only, and I think that was, what? to me that on that alone stood out to me as one of the big big time moments out there. The first person who actually cheated to win the World Rumble. I had nothing to do with the main event at WrestleMania. That itself stood out as one of the low moments. Yes, he did win two, dog, your following year, two more. But the first time he declared a winner of the World Rumble, but not going to WrestleMania for a title match, it stands out on his own. That's how I look at it. I agree with that. Yeah. yeah, and uh, like, and that's the thing too. You know, like when I said, there was the first time that that had ever happened, and because I I don't think they had the faith in him to carry a WrestleMania. I mean, he carried that WrestleMania with that match. Yeah, uh, they didn't think he was gonna yet, though. Right, but yeah they didn't think it was gonna ha- he was ready yet, so that's why he wasn't involved in the title match, and they gave it to undertaker instead instead yeah, yeah. uh now, if Sean Michael's mother would have remembered to pack Sean's smile in his duffel bag, we would have gotten Brett and Sean again, which in all honesty, I know I'm an awesome i'm an k fan I think. Austin, Brett was better. No, I think you're 100% right. Never heard that before. 
what Eric's one hundred percent right. No, just you say it. Yeah. <laughs> uh. All right, Eric. Number five. Number five. No. Nice versus Hogan, WCW Heavyweight Championship, August fourth, nineteen ninety-seven. WCW Nitro. Doug, since you chose, you are giving me this idea. I'll let you start. Okay. What were you gonna say about that? I was going to say, are we cutting it at five again and going part two next week? Or are we rushing through here? We want to stop now and do five next week. Okay. No, he's asking. He's, up he's, to you. he's asking. Well, I just asked it, so. Uh, I'll, I'll take it as a yes. I mean, yeah, we can. All right, go ahead on Luger. Okay. Uh but um, 100th episode of Nitro uh, and so first three hour epi- first three hour episode so you needed something big and Luger had been so hot they needed they wanted to give him a big moment uh, and this even though he was going to drop the title back to Hogan at Road Wild it was going to be, uh, you know, this was a big, mo- this was a big moment because, again, it's the 100th episode of Nitro, and when you have a big milestone like that, you have to, you have to do something big. Yeah. And the match was actually pretty decent. It was fucking awesome, and it was a huge moment for Lex Luger. Yeah. I mean, I remember watching it to this day, just fucking him having him in the rack and Shivani screaming and fucking Hogan making the sign that it was over. It was just amazing to watch. Yeah. It was a great – one of the better babyface world title wins of all time, and it gets lost in the shuffle because it was on Nitro. But people forget how good Nitro was then because that's when Eric was like, fuck pay-per-views, Nitro's a pay-per-view. Right, and yeah, because like at that point, Nitro was being treated like a pay-per-view because there were two hours and then there were three hours. Yeah. So, and then you had other, you know, programs. You're getting like eight or nine hours of WCW program in a week, and then you have to sit through a fucking three-hour pay-per-view. Yeah. Every month. So. Yeah. So lot like now. Yeah, and you know, that's why... I don't like, know why people always think more is better. And it never ends up being that. The saying is, and but nobody ever follows it, but the saying used to be, less is more. But yeah, no one definitely follows it, especially in wrestling. That's why AEW is on their, what, third program? Yeah, third program, and yeah. Warner Brothers Discovery wants them to do monthly pay-per-views. So. Too yeah. much. Don't, please, don't. Four pay per views a year is fine. That was their. Yeah, but they got a parent company, so. Yeah, and it's what the parent company wants. But this match was fucking amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Because it it was was a great moment. Where uh, you were building to a Saturday pay per view, and what better way to get people to watch than have. Have Hogan dropped the belt for the first time in a year? I mean, yes, he was going to get it back because the one thing they forgot to do, they forgot to clear the shot with Sting. Yeah. And Sting threw a fucking fit. 
I guess, when Luger, even though Luger's his best friend and all that, that's when the paranoia started setting in Sting's head. Wait a minute, maybe they're not going to do the moment with me. Yeah. Because they were, they were building, they were starting still, you know, in the beginning stages of building the Starcade. Then they dropped the title to Luger, and he's just like, wait a minute, maybe they're going to fuck me. And when Sting started to have that doubt come into his head of, you know, I don't know if I could trust Hulk. I don't know if I could trust Hulk. So Hulk said, all right, you don't trust me, brother? I'm going to fuck you. Instead of trying to ease his mind. Yeah. Uh, instead of easing, easing his mind, he sodomizes his ass. Yeah. But for the Luger moment, his mind didn't need to be eased. He shouldn't have been a bitch. There's a plenty enough... This is the biggest company in the world right now, wrestling-wise. Yeah, and by the way, you have four months until your match with, with Hogan. Yes. There's enough fucking pie for everybody, yeah, especially I, your best friend who's one of the most over baby faces. And if you hear that crowd, people love him. People still love Sting, and they'll make the same oh, reaction. Yeah. love Luger, too. Why not give Luger a moment, have him drop the belt, and then let Sting get the moment? I get what he was... I get it because, to him, I guess it would affect the story, and... Hogan holding it for a whole year and then dropping it to Sting would be the way to go. But how much look, we have to see fucking Eric Bischoff fucking bowing to him with the title every fucking Nitro. It's nice to see the strap on somebody else. Right. I mean, you it doesn't could have need, held it to Halloween. Hammer. Yeah. It didn't need to be WCW 2000 where everybody has the fucking belt. Right. But it's cool to see Luger deserved the win. And I like the way it played out. Great moment. I loved it. Eric loved it. Yeah. He would have been higher in the list, but considering what else is on the list, it falls where it falls. Well, yeah. Considering what else we haven't gotten to yet. I think this was a good spot for them. Yeah. And we'll do part two next week, guys. Sounds good. Sounds good to me. Yeah. 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 Um, um, thanks, guys. Thanks, Doug. Thanks. Um, <laughs> Thank you, sir. Uh, well, um, talk to you next week. I mean, you want to do talk about stuff before we get out of here? Uh, listen to a bunch of crap that we do. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. And Eric, you did a great job, and yeah. I love you, buddy. Yeah, he did a fantastic job on Thank the you. list. And uh, Clint, always a pleasure. All right, guys, we'll see everybody next time. All right. Later. Later. Bye. Bye.